we're in the book of Revelation, and I uh, encourage you to turn there to chapter 17. And uh, man, I hope that's the prayer of your heart. Lord, let revival come. Amen? Yeah. I pray that that touched your heart, and I pray that it maybe spurred something in you, that we would really pray for God to send revival. It's really what we need in our world. We need the Lord to revive us, excite us, and help us to be more devoted to him and more passionate about him in the world we live in. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 18. I told you 17. Chapter 18 of Revelation. And we've been in a study here, and we're uh, nearing the end. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because uh, Revelation can be a pretty heavy uh, topic, uh, constantly looking at what uh, you know is to come and the idea of God's judgment, and uh, you know we don't we don't like that. It's hard for us to to face that, but it's important for us to understand it because it's a real truth of real actual things that have happened, will happen, and are happening. And and uh, most of all, in the Book of Revelation, we have sought from the very beginning, and will eventually at the end of this have preached through uh, forty three messages in the Book of Revelation. We're getting close to the end of those. But in each one, I pray that you have seen clearly in the midst of, you know, what does this mean? This beast and this, uh, uh, you know, this dragon and these, uh, you know, images and these bowls and these trumpets and all these things that we didn't allow all those things to take our eyes off of Christ. Because that's the, the point of the book. The point of the book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus and all his glory and all his love and mercy it's to it's that scene in in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 where we see the lamb of God we see Jesus the slain lamb on the throne worshiped by all around him and here recently in 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 book in the chapters 17 and 18 we've seen this personified city this Babylon of uh, the world, this representative world power in the book of Revelation called Babylon, and we understand that she is personified in a prostitute and a, and a harlot in these passages. And we've seen her rise, and in the most recent uh, messages, we've seen her fall, her demise in Babylon's fall. And now that Babylon has fallen, what you see is the world looking on, and the world begins to lament. The world begins to cry out. The world, in fact, in these passages that we'll read today, the world sings a funeral song, a dirge, a requiem to the prostitute that it actually killed. Now, we don't talk about lament a lot. We, we like to talk about joy. We like to talk about happiness. We like to talk about good things. But lament is important in our lives because tough things happen. Tough things happen, and we can't just sweep things under the rug. We can't just say, well, you know, I mean, that's pretty bad, but at least 
there's this and that. And, 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 you know, that's part of grief. That's a part of lament is looking for the good and holding on to the good. But sometimes we just have to say, this stinks. This situation's hard. This situation's tough. Our family is experiencing this. And we lament. We grieve. We sorrow. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be human. We wouldn't be finite creatures that say, man, why? Why did this little girl pass away? Why did she only live for an, a, a few moments after she was born? Why did her mom have to have her water break at 26 weeks? And why did infection set in? And why? And it's okay to do that. Whatever you're facing, it's okay to say, why? This is tough. This is hard. This stinks. Lament is something we don't do a lot, but it's something that's needed. Lament can be described as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament is a good thing at times, especially when folks have lost someone or something. Lament can be therapeutic cathartic it lament can heal your soul even for christians everyone should lament but even for christians lament should be a regular exercise for us there are a number of psalms that are psalms of lament there's a whole book in the bible called lamentations guess what it's about lament it's okay it's not just okay for us to lament. It's okay, but it's something we need. And Christians can lament the presence of sin in the world and in our own lives, and we can lament the repercussions of a difficult life and the things that happen that are tough. And that's okay. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, everything has been leading up to this moment where that great city, Babylon, the city that opposes God and his city, the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and this city has fallen. God brought about the finality of judgment, and we watch how the world responds, and they weep and lament. They grieve and they sorrow. But their grieving is different. Their grieving is lacking. Their lament is misplaced. They're not grieving for sin. They're not grieving for the woman, really, Babylon. And they're really not even grieving for their ultimate despot, to their ultimate demise because they have aligned themselves with this woman. They're not lamenting those things at all they're not mourning those things on their song of funeral is not really for any of those things they lament for something quite different and as we study the way the world responds we must ask ourselves do we lament the same things they do or we do we as christians lament something far worse 
Let's read the passage of Scripture today, beginning in verse 9. And in this passage, we observe the world's requiem for the fall of Babylon, and we see what their hearts really longed for and where they placed their lament and their desire and their longing. If you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and share their sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, Objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and slaves, human lives. The fruit you crawled, you, the fruit you craved has left you. All your splendor and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again, they sing. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off, and they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept carrying out, weeping and we kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Woe, woe to the great city, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed. On you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You can hear their lament and their mourning. But I want you to see what they were lamenting, really. Not her fall, but really something else. And the first thing we see, and there's just three things, is that the world will lament. The passing of the pleasures Babylon provided. The world will lament the passing of the pleasures Babylon provided. Remember this book of Revelation, it was written to seven churches in, in Asia Minor. At the time, it was really the, the, just the place of uh, market, trade, wealth. It was the the cradle of the world at the time that this was written and there were Christians there living amongst that and they were they were trying to live out their faith and they were doing well in some senses and some not and we've talked about that again and again how Babylon and the world and its ideas and its pleasures had even seeped into the church and 
Jesus uses this elaborate vision given to John and writes this letter to those churches to help them see what was really happening and what would really happen. And so in, in a sense, we see throughout the book of Revelation that it's showing us things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. And in this moment, not only uh, do we see some of the things that have happened and Will are happening, but we really see kind of this moment of finality, this world system, this world ideal, this this thing that was was signified in this woman will one day end. We've talked about that, and when it ends, how will those who are affected by that respond? And that's what's happening here. They will lament. Not that that's gone, but they'll lament that the pleasures that they were able to enjoy are gone. We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago, and C.S. Lewis said, we continue making these mud pies in the mud when when realizing or not realizing that heaven and glory and beauty and splendor await us. The world had been rolling around in the pigsty of pleasure and, and, and reaching out and trying to find uh, this new pleasure for themselves. For those who live for themselves and not for the world, it's all about pleasure and chasing every feeling and high and ecstasy and anything that will give them pleasure. And when the carpet is pulled from them, when the beast slaughters the one who provided pleasure for them, this woman, this prostitute, this Babylon, this great city, and every whim that the world gave them is taken away, they mourn. It speaks of the kings here in this passage, and that codifies them and the pleasure that they sought and it uses the term sexual immorality and we certainly realize and understand that that's a part of it all and they mourn these rulers these these kings and these world powers mourn because they no longer have the opportunity to commit these things and to have these pleasures you see the lie of the enemy and the lie that he would have people believe is that pleasure will give you all that you need and here we see chasing pleasure in this case sexual immorality will leave you empty never fulfilled only wanting more and never fully attending to that never fully achieving that so when the world fades away Will you be accounted among those who looked for your fulfillment in Jesus? Or will you be accounted among those who looked for their fulfillment in the empty things that the world offered you? You must make a choice. We all must make a choice. And friends, I can tell you, Jesus offers far more than this world will ever give you. Don't feed into the lies. Don't believe the lies. The world says that Jesus is something that is old and 
and rusty and no, it's a, a thing for the past. It's a thing for small-minded people. It's a, Jesus is a thing and God is a thing and righteousness is a thing that we should just, just leave in the past and chase after whatever we desire, whatever we want. The world would love for you to believe that. The world would love for you to fall headlong into this trap, into these lies that one day will leave you empty. I'm a big fan of fantasy writing, and um, I, I love J.R.R. Tolkien, I love um, uh, C.S. Lewis, I love The Lord of the Rings, I love uh, C.S. Lewis, particularly because of the allegory they use that points to religious themes, and they're both Christians, and um, there's TV shows about them and all that kind of stuff, they miss some of the points of that, but if you read the text, you understand, and, and I'm reminded of the, the book and the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody seen that? Have you seen that or read that book? It's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should read the whole Chronicles of Narnia. But that was the first book. And what you see as these uh, children, the Pevensey children, make their way through this wardrobe, this magical wardrobe into this land called Narnia, that three of the children find their way into uh, promise and excitement and adventure and realizing that they are considered these kings and queens of this land, though they've never been there, and they were going to go and do something significant and important, but at the time, it's always winter there, and the, the queen of the winter and the queen of the world, and I think it signifies you know, kind of the plight of our world at times and the same kind of thing we're talking about here. She finds little Edmund Pevensey and Edmund finds her and she gives him Turkish delight and he loves this Turkish delight she warms him in, in her um, um, carriage and tells him all of these wonders and, and things that will happen if, if he will just go and find his siblings and bring their, her, them to her as well and Edmund believes the lie completely and he goes and finds the siblings. They don't listen at all, but he goes anyway to find her and tell her that he's ready to serve her and do all the things he wants. And all he can think about is that Turkish delight, the pleasure. And all he could seek and find was the thing that satisfied him for just a moment but left him wanting more and more and more. When he gets there, the carpet's pulled out from under him. She realized, she's uh, wrathful, vengeful. How dare you not bring me your siblings? And everything that she promised him was a lie. The same thing is true of the world. It promises us these things that we think will make us happy, and it leaves us, leaves us in shambles and turmoil. I love that story because the story doesn't end there. Eventually, Edmund finds Aslan, and Aslan represents Christ, and Aslan, uh, Edmund can't atone for his own wrongdoing and his own sin, and he's placed himself in a predicament, but Aslan goes and sacrifices himself on the stone table. So, I mean, obviously, right, it's so clearly about Jesus, but friends, that is the truth. Revelation can be harsh because we say, oh my goodness, what about God's love, and what about, what about forgiveness, and it's here. But forgiveness, forgiveness comes, but eventually it runs out. Now, I don't mean that 
Jesus' forgiveness runs out for those who are found in him, but eventually the chance to receive his forgiveness runs out. But Jesus died on the cross to sacrifice himself so that your sins could be atoned, so that you could be forgiven, and so that you don't have to receive the plight of Babylon and the world, and that you can find your joy in him, and you can find your peace in Jesus, and that you can find satisfaction and fulfillment that never ends because Jesus says blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness before you will be filled and Jesus is the only one who fills us we see the world will lament the passing of the pleasures Babylon provided but we also see the world will mourn the disappearance of the material possessions they enjoyed so you have these kings, they sing their funeral song, and then there's a second stanza, and these uh, businessmen and women, these, these uh, folks uh, that had, had to do with um, you know, supplies and material possessions, they begin to sing their dirge and their requiem and their song of funeral. And second and third stanza come in at this point, and it's the same song, same thing, it's lament, but slightly different subject of mourning. This time, it's the merchants. And it signifies those who use the woman to gain a, sta a status. And they were, they were mourning because all that had been stripped from them and taken away when she died and left them without the ability to chase after material possessions. It says in this passage, splendid and glorious things or glamorous things. And another phrase says, fabulous wealth was found in her and it's all gone. They liked that the great city, the, the antithesis of Jesus in his city, the mimic city that offered wonderful things that would burn up, that would be wood, hay, and stubble and would eventually fall away. And that moment came... Have you ever heard the phrase, you never see a U-Haul pulled by a hearse? Have you ever heard that? It's a silly phrase, but it makes a great point. Nobody's taking their stuff when they die. No one's taking their stuff with them. Guess what? You know, back in the day of Egyptians, uh, kings, and the, the tuts, right? All these rulers, the pharaohs. They piled all their stuff into their, you know, into their sarcophagus and, I guess, sarcophagi, I guess. I don't know. But all the stuff with them, guess what? They, earned, they unearthed all that stuff still there. They didn't take it with them. They thought they could, but they could not. Friends, we must grapple with the truth that this points out that when we die, and we all will, we cannot take our possessions with us. It was the difficulty the rich young ruler had when he came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, I want to be a disciple, I want to, I want to go where you go, and I want to do the things you do. And he was wealthy and had many things. And Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, go and sell all your possessions and then come and follow me. And the young man hung his head and walked away because he cared too much about his stuff that would one day fade away. These merchants have the same thing that they're mourning over. No matter how much wealth you amass for yourself, when the time comes for you to pass on into eternal life, 
It cannot go with you. So is Babylon tempting you with your stuff? Is it asking you to put, a, put stock in that over and above your trust in Jesus and his ways? Now listen, and I, I don't know that I have to explain this, but, but I'm going to just because I think it's helpful. This passage is not saying, and I'm not saying, that it's wrong for you and I to have things. It's wrong if those things become ultimate things for you and I. It's wrong if we place those things in the place of God and Jesus in our lives. Because when we do, we worship them instead of him. And one day those things will pass away. And we, it'll be too late. So is Babylon tempting you with your stuff? Is it asking you to worship the stuff that you can receive? In this passage, here's a multitude of people weeping because all the nice stuff is gone. They don't even care about their own souls, just their stuff. The third passage, the third thing we, we see here, and the third stanza, their final stanza, the fourth stanza here that we see is that the world will mock God's judgment on Babylon and themselves. In this final stanza, the representatives from the sea who represent the world weep and mourn and throw dust upon themselves, and they seem to mock God's judgment. They say, Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced on the, her the judgment she passed on you. It's like they're mocking what God is doing. Friends, you must, we must not mock God. Paul lets us know this truth in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, and he says... Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Paul is helping us to see that we ought to place stock. We ought to sow in things that are eternal, not things that will fade away. I'm going to ask Roger to come and be ready to receive you all. This is my closing. and What I want you to see is that God's judgment is serious and it will one day be accomplished fully. But until then, he has made a way for his people to miss the judgment to come. I want you to consider what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, as we close. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that is promised? They mock him again, just as these people did as well. Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been, seen, as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the word of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, 
The present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, as, as Peter urges you, allow me to urge you as well. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The Lord, if he's delaying it all, it's so people can be saved. And would you today repent and turn to Jesus? Quit putting your stock in the world and its ways and the pleasures that it offers and the material possessions Leave all that behind and say, Jesus, you are more precious to me than anything else. And help me to trust in you. Turn from the way you once lived and turn to Christ. And you can do that today. It may sound like a simple prayer just like this. Lord, I have sinned. I've fallen short of what you've called me to do. And I ask you to forgive and save me. In Jesus' name. And if that's you, I encourage you to come speak with Roger. Come. I'd love to share with you another time as well. Of course, I'm coming because, or I'm leaving because I'm going to that funeral, but call me. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to share with you in any way that I can. You come and speak with me if you need to. Let's pray, and then we'll pray that God works in our hearts and lives at this moment. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. Would you work and move? in our midst today as we respond. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand...